Good morning, everyone. My name is Chris, and I'm also an elder candidate here at River City. Um, and our text this morning is going to come out of 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 18. So as you flip there in your Bibles, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. So I help in our upper elementary downstairs. I help wrangle kids, basically, make sure no one leaves the classroom and escapes. Um, I also help sometimes with our hospitality team. I say hi to people. It's probably one of the more fun things I get to do. And then I also help to manage our city groups. So if you aren't already plugged in with one, go ahead and text groups when that number comes back. I don't know it off the top of my head. Um, and you can get connected there. So actually, two days ago, last Friday, I celebrated one year in Grand Rapids. Big, big, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and uh, I can't remember if Brad and I were having a one-on-one -on -one conversation or if he was preaching this at, our, at the church that we came from in Ann Arbor. And he said, if you guys should consider coming on this church plant because Grand Rapids is just better. I'm still, still waiting to see if that's true. Anyways, um, so during this past year, I, a lot of things happened. I started a new job. I got married. And then I actually started, yeah, and then I actually started another new job. So this year has been really great. Um, but now I get to preach now and be in front of all of you guys. So I'm going to read now out of 1 Corinthians 9. It's 18 verses, so buckle up and follow along. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of its milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I've made no use of, of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting." For necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right of the gospel. So this message this morning is difficult, not in the sense that it's a really overly complex scripture or I get to help, you know, kind of manage some area of sin in your life that you're struggling with, but it's difficult because it cuts to the core of what we care about, and that's money. The first 14 verses of this passage, Paul is laying out reasons why we should support our people in ministry. 
And so before we get too deep into it this morning, I just want to go ahead and say that, there, say that there's only one person who gets paid around here, and it's none of the elder candidates, Troy, myself, or Sawyer. But in terms of how we're doing as a church financially, we're actually doing pretty well in terms of as a church plant, we actually are being supported by three other outside churches. And then our internal giving is actually quite strong given our size. So I want you to know that if this is your first time here, or maybe you haven't been to church in a while, this isn't uh, a plea for money. Um, although more is welcome, we don't, this, isn't, uh, <laughs> this isn't an opportunity for us to ask for more. So if you can remember, if you were here last week, um, Paul was talking through, first, or he was talking about meat sacrificed to idols. And there are some Christians or some Corinthians who are saying, you know what, hey, we'll eat meat sacrificed to idols because we know that there aren't any gods. We'll participate in these pagan feasts. It's all good because we know it's not real. But there are some other younger Christians who were struggling with this. They saw that these other more mature Christians were engaging in these activities and they were struggling with the idea of how they could participate in those but not believe it. So we see that Paul introduces a principle here. And it's that in, as Christians, we have freedom to do something but don't do it if it's going to affect somebody else, if it's going to hurt somebody else. This principle actually comes from um, not only here in 1 Corinthians, but also in Romans 14, and he talks about uh, the use of wine and concerning drinking alcohol, more or less. So he says, and I'm paraphrasing here, that you know there's nothing wrong with wine, but if it makes somebody stumble, if it makes someone think less of your Christian faith, then maybe you should abstain from drinking around them. So as Christians, we have freedom. And there are some things that the Bible points out that are black and white issues and we know right from wrong. But other times there are gray areas. And we know that the Bible doesn't necessarily forbid certain things. So what limits that freedom? It's this idea of love for God and his people. So we don't want to do anything that might offend or cause somebody to fall into sin. And there are some things as a Christian that you can handle, but maybe somebody else can't. So how does this relate with chapter 9. So now that we have a better understanding of that principle from chapter 8 about love being the limiter of our freedom, Paul wants to use an illustration from his own life to demonstrate how he exercises his freedom and his rights as a Christian. And what is this right? And as if you were following along, you can see that he has a right, he has a freedom to ask his local church for support. Okay, and in verses 15 through 18, which is going to be our more or less towards the end of our message, um, we actually see that he waives this right. Why does he do that? But before we talk about that, let's talk about why we believe that our pastor, elder, missionary, or person in ministry deserves to be paid. So first 14 verses, um, there's actually going to be six reasons that Paul lays out why we should support these people. The first one actually only applies to Paul and the original apostles, but the, the, the last five still account for us, so we can pick it up more or less from there. But number one, Paul is an apostle, and as an apostle, he's going to make an argument here that he's actually entitled to support. So the first question that he asks in verse one, there's actually four rhetorical questions in this first verse, and he asks whether or not he's free. So what's the point of this? He's trying to establish and make, um, make himself level with the other Corinthians. Remember, they've been making a big deal about their freedom. Hey, man, we're free to do anything we want. We can go to meat, we can eat meat offered to idols. We can go to these pagan festivals. We don't have to believe what they do and participate in their celebrations. So Paul responds with, am I not free? I have the same rights and freedoms as you. And as we're going to see, he sets them aside. 
The second question he asks is, am I not an apostle? And then have I not seen Jesus? So what's important about this? So the first thing that we should probably consider is what is an apostle? An apostle, um, in general, it just means someone who is sent out. So it can also have a very uh, general meaning of someone who's been sent out by someone or a group on a special mission. And in determining what power or authority an apostle has, we should ask, what authority does the sender have who sends out the apostle? And in this case, we see that it's Jesus. So Paul is defending his rights as an apostle sent by Jesus. In Acts 1, it says that whoever was to be an appointed an apostle had to be a witness of Jesus Christ. That's why he follows up with the question, have I not seen Jesus? So we know that he's seen Jesus, and if you know anything else about maybe Paul's conversion story in Acts 9, he was on the road to Damascus, and Jesus revealed himself to him there. So we can say that Paul has seen Jesus. And the second proof of apostleship, or the second reason that he gives of his apostleship to the Corinthians is, he says, Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. What is he getting at here? It's just the idea that this very church in Corinth is proof of Paul's apostleship. Their saving faith and their knowledge of God's word came directly from his evangelistic efforts. Also probably worth pointing out that Paul isn't responsible for their salvation. He isn't their savior, but he brought them the knowledge. Okay, so now that we've established that Paul is an apostle, he's going to go on now in verse, four to say, or in verse 3 to say, hey, here's a defense to those who would examine me. So as a lawyer would in a courtroom, he's preparing his defense. And this brother, he's ready to fight people who try to challenge his authority. And what exactly is he ready to fight you about? And that's his right to support from the local church. Verse 4, do we not have the right to eat and drink? In other words, as a, as a minister of God, not to mention an apostle, don't I have the right to expect that at least y'all would help me eat and drink? Can I please get a little help in just being able to be sustained? And he continues in verse 5 and 6. Do, not, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas, his partner in ministry, and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So it even goes further than just, do I have the right to eat and drink? But if he wanted to, he could also be married, and he could also ask the local church for support for him, his wife, and his family. We see that there are other apostles who are taking advantage of this, Cephas, Peter. But probably also worth noting that Paul at this point in his ministry is probably most likely widowed, and he's not going to marry later on. So all that in summary for reason one, Paul is saying that I'm entitled to certain rights as an apostle. Reason number one. And before we go any further, I hope you guys have been following along. So Paul is saying, look, I'm an apostle. Um, but how does that work for us today? So what I want to say is one of the ways that we can continue to be on mission here together at River City is if we support the people who administer to us. So there's this idea that people who work in the ministry would be supported by the people in which they administer to. Now, what this passage does not expand on is a list of duties or responsibilities that this person in ministry would do. So you're just going to have to believe and trust me that whoever this person is, is working on your behalf spiritually 24-7. This is what their life is dedicated to, and they do not have any other time or resources in their life to participate in something that's a secular occupation. Okay, back to where we are. So six reasons, like I said, number one, 
does, more or less counts, but these next five are, are money. So <laughs> number two, it's customary to pay workers. Okay, so we're going to see three illustrations in verse 7 of how it's customary to pay workers. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Okay, so we have three examples of three workers. Soldiers don't go to war and then work another job at night. They're provided for. They're given clothes, a place to stay, and food, and then sometimes money. Imagine you're out on the battlefield with soldiers, and one of the guys goes, hey, man, I got to get back from my shift at Big B, all right? That's not really going to work out very well. He has to be supported in what he does. Secondly, farmers don't plant a vineyard and cultivate a crop for someone else without being paid. They're going to eat a grape or two off of what they plant. And then thirdly, those who tend to flocks and get milk from them are going to drink some of the milk that comes from it. So the main principle out of these illustrations is that a person should earn his living out of his labor. His sustenance should come from his labor. There shouldn't be a labor and then some other source of sustenance. He should be supported in what he does. So number two, it's perfectly normal to pay workers. Now number three, it actually comes from God's law in the Old Testament. So we can follow in verses 8 through 11. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake. Because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. So this idea of paying people in ministry just doesn't come from human judgment alone, which we see in verse 7, but Paul kicks it up a notch and he actually flexes some Old Testament on them. Where does this quote come from? It actually comes from Deuteronomy, and it's this idea that the Israelites adopted this farming tradition from the Egyptians, and they would throw all these husks of grain on the ground, they would tie a big stone to an ox, and he would walk around in a circle pressing on the husk to release the grain. Now imagine our, our boy, the ox, is going to work all day, and we've decided to muzzle him. You're going to have a very tired, frustrated ox. So, what is, so why does God use an illustration of an ox? Does he really only care about ox and not about people? Well, I don't think that's true. And this comes, like I said, from Deuteronomy 25.4. And in context, this passage isn't even talking about animals. This is about economic and social relationships, and you can go home and check this out because we don't have enough time today to dive into that. But it's this idea that if God is, cares for an ox who is spending his strength to serve man and get a reward, how much should a person serving in ministry be rewarded? If an ox shouldn't be muzzled, then neither should our people in ministry. So how does this idea inform the way that we think through supporting our pastors, our preachers, our missionaries, and other people in ministry? Well, People who serve in the ministry, who work hard on our behalf spiritually, deserve to at least see some light at the end of the tunnel. They, they deserve to be able to say, you know what, I know that I'm working hard for someone spiritually, and at least maybe at the end of the day, I'll get some food and some drink and I'll be cared about. But I think we should even take it a step further than that, and we should be supporting these people as generously as feasible and leave the stewardship of money up to them, just as we expect the stewardship of money to be left to us. So let's take a step back for a second and think through why we do this. So maybe somewhere along the way you read an article or you saw something on Instagram um, of a pastor who bought a multi-million dollar mansion, uh, a private jet, or something of that sort. There are a lot of people who abuse this. 
There are a ton. But it doesn't mean that a few bad apples spoils the whole crop, okay? So I urge you then, when you think about giving to the ministries that you want to support, that you would examine the lives of the people who, in which you are supporting. And I also think that it's helpful to think through that not every appeal or every time someone comes to ask you about a mission or something like that, that doesn't mean you have to give to them. But when we do find a servant who is worthy um, and we want to give to them, we should give happily, generously, and trustingly. Because we can see even in the verse it says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? That is, if there's a genuine spiritual ministry that's occurred or is occurring, it shouldn't be too much to ask of material things from who you support spiritually. So that was kind of a long way to get around saying, like, number three is it was in the Old Testament. Number four, we're going to see here in verse 12, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So number four is, actually, there's already other apostles and leaders within the church who are already claiming this right on the Corinthians. They're already supporting someone else. And Paul feels, as the church's founding pastor and even an apostle, their spiritual father, he believes has more of a claim to receive support from them than anyone else they're already supporting. So again, we see that people asking for support in the ministry is customary. It's normal, and it's already been happening. And so the second half of this verse, we're kind of, kind of saved for the end. But some of us know that Paul worked as a tent maker. Again, this story comes from Acts. And, a, and that he tried to support himself during the day by building tents at night because he was so dead set on advancing the gospel that he didn't want anyone to think of him, anything to think of him other than Jesus. But why did we do this? Because we know that in Corinth at the time, and if you've been with us from the beginning of this series, we know that there are other leaders, other um, preachers in this area who are demanding attention of the Corinthians. And Paul wants to further set himself apart from those people. So instead of making use of this right, which we're going to see, he waves it. So number four, people are already asking for support from them. Number five, there is precedence even before this New Testament practice that ministry workers were being paid. So we see in verse 13, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple services get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? This, again, is an illustration from the Old Testament in which the priest would perform sacrificial offerings. So these, these brothers would work in the temple, and let's say you sinned, you would come up and you would bring him an animal, and he would burn the fat from the animal and be able to keep the meat for himself. So again, we see that his labor provides for his sustenance. And now on to our sixth and final reason of why we should pay our workers in ministry, verse 14. And it's probably the easiest one to understand. It's because Jesus said so. Verse 14, in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So Paul had the right to ask for support because Jesus already ordained the principle. And he could be referencing Luke 10, 7 here. You don't need to flip there. I'll just read it. And remain in the same, this is him talking to the, the disciples, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Jesus himself has asked to support those in the ministry, but at the same time, those in the ministry aren't necessarily commanded to accept that support. 
So we're going to see that here now in verses 15 through 18. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So Paul just gave us six super solid reasons why we should support the people in ministry. And I mean, we've kind of even gone past the point where he's saying, um, I deserve this, or I think I have the right to ask you, but there's some expectation now that exists that the local church would support him. So with this idea of expecting support, and just so the Corinthians don't think he's trying to guilt them into giving, he has to re- reiterate to them that he isn't writing to them for support, right? So he's not doing this in a passive-aggressive way or trying to guilt trip them by laying out all these different reasons and then in the end be, being like, actually, I kind of do want this. But he does this because he wants to. What makes Paul pass on asking for this support? Because he gloried in the gospel. He was pumped off of it. He was excited about it. He had nothing to do with the giving or the content of the gospel. And he wasn't even really boasting in his commitment and ability to preach it. He preached out of necessity. It would literally put him in pain, woe to me, if he did not preach and share the gospel. The gospel was his ultimate source of joy. But why go to such great lengths not to make use of this right to support? So Paul would rather earn his own living rather than be a burden to those he served or cause them to think he was in the ministry for the money. It was with great happiness and joy that we see Paul waiving his right to support in order that the gospel could be advanced. All the while saying, well, I have the right to support, but I won't use my right at all. And I've never made any use of this right while among you. And that's one of the most thrilling parts of my ministry. The idea that restraining your freedoms, your rights in Christ can actually lead to joy. I also just want to mention for a second that it is likely that Paul did receive support from other churches, just never while he was in ministry among them. And what I mean is, when you have a new Christian, the first thing that you talk to them about isn't necessarily going to be, hey man, give me money. All right, we don't start there. So there's this idea that he has these young infant churches in which he's nurturing. He would rather live among them and work and be a living example rather than say, hey man, I brought you the gospel, so pay me. There's actually evidences in other pieces of scripture in 2 Corinthians actually where we see him doing a little dance kind of like when the check comes at, the, at a restaurant and you, you, you like try to say that you're going to pay for the bill but someone else is. But instead, the, these Macedonian churches are saying, hey, we want to pay you. And he's like, I can't take from you. I see how poor you are. I can't. And they're like, no, really, we want to. We're excited about this. We can't wait to give to you. So he takes it. So I just want to briefly say now, too, that there's a difference between setting aside freedom and begrudgingly doing so. So you might say, well, I have this freedom to do something, but, you know, Joe over there, he's so weak and young that... I'm just not going to do it because it's annoying and he just needs to hurry up and grow up so that I can start doing whatever that thing is. In other words, you can restrict your freedom, but it's a question of motive. So Paul gets to choose whether or not he is a burden to someone. He gets the choice to work night and day in order that people might respond to the gospel and that's his greatest joy. So if you really want to love the world, and help them to get to know Jesus, then maybe there's some freedoms that you have to set aside. And if you want to love your brother or sister and see them grow, maybe there's some freedoms that you set aside in order that you can rejoice in their growth. 
And instead of lamenting the fact that you can't see an R-rated movie or drink alcohol or something like that, then instead be excited that you have the choice. And you have the choice to give something up out of love. So this is Paul's, this is the heart of the passage. This is his illustration that he's using from his life. Paid or not paid, that's not really the issue. What mattered was the work of the gospel. Was it more effective for the gospel if Paul should receive support than he probably would have asked for it? Or was it more effective for him if he should work and support himself? He does that. What mattered was the gospel not be hindered. And now if we know that Paul is able to deny such an important right or freedom like money, then couldn't also the Corinthians deny their right to eating meat? Sacrifice idols. And the same goes for us as a church. As we examine the behaviors and actions in our lives, do we consider what we look like to others? Again, not in a pious way where we read our Bibles in front of people so that we look really cool, but in a way where we consider, does the gospel reflect my life? And do others see that? So what does this look like for us at River City? Maybe it looks like you reconsidering reconsidering your giving. Maybe it looks like in order for you to be fully on board, that looks like supporting um, our pastor, our elder, whoever that may be. And we hope to grow in size someday, so that's likely going to mean more staff. Not saying that necessarily means me or Troy or Sawyer, but that likely means putting more people in a position in order to grow this ministry who are going to work on your behalf. But money doesn't have to be where we start this conversation, or it doesn't even mean where you end up here. Maybe you just need to reconsider your witness to those around you. Asking God, how can you love others better through the ways you spend your time and how you make decisions? There has to be an intentionality of love that has to exist. I mean, Paul has really given up maybe the hardest thing any of us have to part ways with, and that's money. That's a lot of our keys to comfort, security. I hope that we have that same kind of love that will cause us to limit our liberty, our freedoms, for the sake of somebody else. And that response and our attitude will be one of joy. So to recap quickly, Paul, in our first 14 verses here today, gave us six reasons why we should pay people in ministry. Number one, he's an apostle. That really only applies to him. Number two, it's super normal. It's customary. Number three, it comes directly from God's law in the Old Testament. Number four, there are other apostles, there's other leaders who have already been asking for support from them. Number five, uh, the priests in the Old Testament did this. And number six, Jesus said so. So even when we're faced with everything, why we should do something, we have every right to do something, sometimes it's better to give it up. Sometimes it's better to consider others before you consider yourself. I'll pray, and then the band will come up, and we'll do communion. God, thank you for your word and how it gives us a pattern on how to live. Thank you for the privilege of serving here at River City and how you've used our body to support the church. God, help us to love you better through the ways that we are a witness to others and allow sacrifice to be a joy for us. Whether it's in the form of money or how we spend our time, God, help us to glorify you as we go about our days and help us, Father, to make the example of Paul who set aside the needs of himself for love's sake and to be willing to set aside things we don't need for the love of others. In Jesus' name. Amen.